saying that uh, is unfortunately true. Familiarity breeds contempt. And sometimes that is often, I think, applied to the, the Lord's Supper and how often we partake it on a weekly basis, that it's easy for the Lord's Supper to simply turn into ritual, into habit. Sometimes it just turns into how quickly can we get this done? Let's, you know, stack the trays up to the ceiling and we can break land speed records and just get it done so that we can hurry up and get out of here. When it's really the pivotal moment of worship, everything is to be centered around the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, as was read for us, we're in Mark chapter 14 as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And we're noticing that Mark is is taking us to the cross and bringing us to this grand moment where Jesus is giving his life. Jesus in the Gospel of Mark has repeatedly declared that he's going to give his life as a ransom for many. And in Mark 14, we have the backdrop of the Passover. Uh, It's declared there in chapter 14 and verse 12 that it's the first day of unleavened bread when the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. And it's important to have the Passover then firmly in our mind as the events unfold as Jesus takes his disciples and he begins this commemoration. In understanding and remembering the Passover, we need to recognize that the Passover was a a critical festival in the minds and in the history of the Jewish nation. The Passover was a a recalling of how they'd been slaves in Egypt, how God had brought them out by a mighty hand, and the signs and wonders that were performed in Egypt. The people were enslaved. They were enslaved to Egypt. They were helpless and they they were hopeless. There was nothing that they could do. When you read the Exodus account, they are just simply crying out under the oppression that they are suffering under. And God raises up a leader, a man who himself of his own designation and terms would say, I am not equipped for such a task. And raises up Moses and brings him before Pharaoh and begins to work signs and wonders before his very eyes, calling for him to let the people go. And in the refusal of doing that, then God sends ten mighty plagues that would ultimately wreck Egypt economically. And then of the tenth plague, the most severe, the death of the firstborn. And when God gave that declaration, He made something very important in that declaration that there was going to be a judgment that would go against all the land of Egypt, human and animal, none was going to be spared unless there was blood. If blood was to be put on the doorposts, then God would pass over that house. And that house would be spared the judgment that was to come. I will read to you Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11 as this was the preparation for it. Exodus 12 and verse 11 reads, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. What is important to observe in the concept of the Passover is God says that blood was going to be the basis by which God would pass over. That there being blood spilled would be the reason why God would not bring judgment on that particular family and on that particular house. And that this would be a memorial kept for all generations to remember how God struck Egypt but spared Israel. That God never wanted Israel to forget this very important memorial. It's somewhat akin to an Independence Day of sorts for the Passover for them. is because they are now leaving their slavery and would be on their way to a new land. They've been set free. And now they would be able to enjoy all the promises that God had promised to them. Everything that God was hoping to, to, to see in Israel. Israel was waiting for God to accomplish it is now coming to fruition in this moment. This Passover meal, remembering how things used to be and how God had set them free. But it's interesting that the Passover not only was a memorial to look backward... But all throughout Israel's history, the Passover also was to look forward. Sometimes we look at the Passover and think, well, they just are remembering the past, but that's not the case. Very much so, there was a hope in the Passover that though they had been led out of Egyptian slavery, there would arise a prophet like Moses who would bring about a new exodus and be able to redeem the people and take, set them free from all encumbrances, from all rulers and from all nations, and they would be truly God's free people in God's kingdom. In fact, you might remember that's what the two on the road to Emmaus are saying. As they are leaving and Jesus approaches them and asks about what they've been talking about, And their statement is, we had hoped that this was the one who would redeem Israel. We hoped that he was the one to accomplish the new Passover, the new Exodus, to bring about freedom, to bring about what God had promised ultimately to the people of God. And so the people were hoping for that. And what is so interesting then about that is Jesus earlier has ridden into Jerusalem. He's come into Jerusalem riding on that donkey, proclaiming himself as the king. We saw that in Mark's gospel. Here he comes and he proclaims this message as he goes into Jerusalem. Your king has arrived. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That Jesus intended all of the weight and the hope of the Passover time to be resting upon Him. And in fact, if you think about that for a moment, you know, there was any time in Israel's history, any time on the calendar, 
When Jesus could have decided that he would lay down his life for the world. And he chooses the Passover week. He could have picked any week if he wanted to. The effect would have been the same. But Jesus wants the weight, the meaning, the significance of the Passover. And that is also why Jesus does not choose any day of all the years of his life to institute the Lord's Supper. But rather, after the disciples say, we need to make preparations for the Passover. Let's make those preparations. And Jesus obliges that. You're going to find this room and everything that's going to be made ready there. And that's what we see happening as it's set up for us now in verse 22 of Mark 14. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. What we're going to notice this morning is what Jesus does is he takes what would have looked like this Passover meal and gives an additional meaning, changes the meaning, an additional layer to it. To be able to see the fulfillment of all that the Passover was picturing, now resting upon Jesus himself. During the Passover meal, the patriarch of the family would give thanks and offer praise as he would take the bread and break it and distribute it to all of the participants in the family household. Typically, during the Passover, though, no words were said after that. But I want you to notice that after Jesus offers the prayer and breaks it and passes it, he says something. He doesn't want the standard thinking of the Passover only, but then he turns around and says, this is my body. Jesus is adding something. He's changing something here. And by saying here that he blessed it, I I want to continue to underline this idea. He didn't do anything but pray for it, to give thanks for it. That's what that word means. He did not pray for a blessing upon the bread. That's another way of saying he gave thanks. In fact, you see the parallel in verse 23 when he had given thanks. Blessing it is offering praise and thanksgiving to God. And so as he takes the bread, he gives praise. A thanksgiving to God. And he declares this and says, this is me. This is my body. This is what you are remembering. Is that all of the hopes of the Passover, everything that the world was hoping for, everything that Israel was hoping for, are all now being pictured in Jesus. That the death that he is about to undergo just hours away from his betrayal, just moments away from all this beginning to unfold, is going to be the fulfillment of this new exodus, that Jesus being the new Moses, who's going to offer liberation and give hope then. I have found it fascinating for as many times as I have taught about the Lord's Supper in my time with you that we've looked at it in Exodus and we've looked at it in Hebrews and we've looked at it at 1 Corinthians and we've looked at it when I went through the Luke's gospel we, we've covered this so many times and that 
every time I go through this, I see yet another layer that God has in the beauty of what this memorial is. It is absolutely astounding to me how often and how beautiful and how wide the picture is that is given to us about what we are doing. With this Passover imagery and Jesus saying, this is my body, is that Jesus is saying, it's through me this liberation is happening. It's through me. It's through my death. It is through my sacrifice that you are being set free. That you are able to receive all the promises of God. That everything that you were hoping for is now going to be found in Him. That He is the gift that we absolutely needed. There is such a beauty. And I hope we'll always be in amazement in the Lord's Supper. That as we take the bread, you're remembering a sacrifice. You're remembering that Jesus gave himself for us. That this is exactly what we needed. We needed someone to come and set us free from our sins. We needed someone to redeem us. We needed someone to buy us out of our enslavement. Someone who would come and rescue us. And as all of Israel's history went about showing, nobody could do that. As great as those prior leaders that God rose up were, at some point they were faulty. As great as Abraham was, or as great as Moses was, or as great as David was, or as great as Solomon was, they're all faulty. And we're in need of someone who can truly release us. It's the hope of Isaiah. Isaiah prophesies again and again that one day there's going to be one who's going to set the prisoners free. That there's going to be rejoicing, there's going to be gladness. Because now the people will no longer be slaves, but they will be people who are free to worship and serve God. Not only is this idea bound in the taking of the bread, but consider also that when we are partaking of the Lord's Supper, there is a proclaiming of unity that exists in that. The Apostle Paul said that the bread that we break... Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. There is supposed to be a unifying aspect to this, which is why in the very next chapter, Paul will condemn these Corinthians for the lack of unity that existed when they were partaking. There is something that we are proclaiming as we take this together, that we are not only remembering what our Lord and Savior has done for us, that we're not only remembering sacrifice and giving of life and choosing to lay down His life for us, but that we are also proclaiming in this meal that we are joined to the Lord and that we together are joined in that effort. That there is a unity that exists in that. The Passover meal in some ways might be, trying to put it into modern terminology, might be somewhat of akin to a Thanksgiving, if you will, that we would have, where you had all of your family gathered together and you had this meal. 
And there's that unifying of the family together as you partook in the Passover. And as you're joined together in that as a family and eating, you are remembering what God had done. And so likewise, we're doing the same. Is that we are observing that we are a family together because of what Christ has done for us. That ultimately, there is one bond that we all have. One bond that we share. We can have all kinds of different backgrounds, different belief systems, different values, come from different places in the country or on the globe, different ethnic backgrounds, all kinds of differences that you could possibly think of that would typically cause problems, that would cause kinds of fractures and arguments, and yet all those things are laid aside because we have a single common bond. Jesus died for us. And we're remembering that in the Lord's Supper. That as we are gathered here as family proclaiming our unity to Jesus, we are ultimately forgiving all wrongs of each other and recognizing that we are joined together by this critically important bond. The bond of being brothers and sisters in Christ. So in the bread, we're remembering those things. Jesus doesn't stop there, but he continues... In verse 23, and he takes the cup and he gives thanks, same as blessing it, and gave it to them and they all drank. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Notice again, a changing of the meaning as he took the bread and doesn't say he would have said nothing in a typical Passover, but he layers something on it and says, this is me. Remember me. Now as the cup is poured, which was also part of the Passover, he takes the cup and he doesn't do it in silence, but now he turns and says, this is my blood of the covenant. It's important to know that all throughout scriptures, the blood has all kinds of symbolism and significance. From the very beginning, blood represents life before God. You you can't get out of the first few chapters of Genesis before you see that blood equals life. When Abel is killed, God is saying His blood is crying up to me because blood equals life. A little bit later, when you get to Noah, there's a reminder that you are not to eat of blood because blood represents life. Blood is always to resemble that. But it's also important to note that not only does blood represent life, but then that to initiate a covenant always required blood. It's a fascinating thing that God sets up where he wants you to understand blood equals life, blood equals life, blood equals life. That's why you respect it. And that's why you see all of those Old Testament regulations about it. It represents the life of a human or the life of an animal. Respect the blood. And then turn around and say, now the only way to have a covenant is through shedding of blood. Life is going to be required. Blood is necessary for a covenant. And you see that again exemplified all throughout the Old Testament as you see the covenants that were being given. The writer of Hebrews will speak of the significance of that in Hebrews chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 9, he'll talk about without the shedding of blood, 
If there's no forgiveness of sins, then blood is required for a covenant to be able to be enacted. In fact, notice how Jesus words it in verse 24. In verse 24, he says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. This is my blood of the covenant. To enact a covenant required blood. And what Jesus says here is, I'm going to use mine. For this covenant to be enacted, it's not going to be the slain of an animal without blemish. It's going to be myself, my blood of the covenant. And notice how it's highlighted, poured out for many. The phrase poured out is a sacrificial term. It means a sacrificial death that's going to be given. In fact, you'll see, you might remember that in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 12 of the suffering servant, the, the prophecy ends, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, that he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. There's a sacrificial picture that's being given. And so as Jesus then takes the cup and he alters this message and says, this is what it's going to take to enact a new covenant. It's going to be my blood. This is how this new covenant is going to come into effect. And it's through this covenant that we're going to see the forgiveness of sins, that we're going to see God able to give freedom from sins, to be able to wash our sins away and give us the very thing we need, a covenant that can forgive. That's what Jeremiah was prophesying. Beautiful prophecy. As Jeremiah comes along and says, the days are coming that I'm going to make a new covenant. And through it, I'm going to forgive sins and remember them no more. We needed a new covenant, but a covenant requires blood. And in the taking of the cup, then what we are doing is remembering that we needed blood to be shed. Blood had to be given. Life had to be poured out to be able to be a part of this covenant. In fact, Zechariah pictures that as well in Zechariah 9 and verse 11, where he says, As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Again, this Passover liberation freedom picture is given. To help you see the context of that, you might recall the passage that's just two sentences earlier. Zechariah 9, 9 is quoted as Jesus' triumphal entry to Jerusalem, riding in on, the, on a donkey and the proclamation of Hosanna as He comes in, here is your King who comes. And then the line right after that is, is also because of you, because of my, the blood of my covenant with you, I set the prisoners free. Here is Jesus doing that very thing. That the Passover was all about a remembrance of the freedom All the remembrance about the release that they had received through God. And it's important that we see that the Lord's Supper pictures that permanent release. 
that we have obtained through the blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, for one other important picture of the blood of the covenant, we've looked at this before in Exodus, and it's important to remind ourselves again, but the blood of the covenant also is a sealing together of relationship. It's a sealing together of relationship between God and us, affirming our devotion and affirming our love to Him. If you remember in Exodus 24, what you have happening there is Moses takes the blood and he puts half of it in a basin and throws it against the altar. And then he takes the book of the covenant and he reads it before all the people. Here are all the laws that God says. And then all the people say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And he takes the blood then and he throws it upon the people. And as he's throwing it on the people, after they've made their proclamation that they will do all that is written in the book, he puts the blood on them and says, this is the blood of the covenant. A sealing of the relationship, a sealing of the covenant between God and his people. You are now in covenant relationship with God. You are agreeing to the terms of the covenant. You are affirming the covenant that God has made and you are then sealed in that covenant, declaring your love and devotion to God. Yes, we will do what God has called for us to do. We are reminding ourselves of the commitment of the covenant that is made as we partake each time. What I want you to see in the partaking of the Lord's Supper is there are so many things that we can rightly think about. When it comes to the bread and it comes to the cup, there is such a depth and such a beauty of what God is calling for us to remember. Now, here in a moment, as we take the bread, we're thinking about life given. Jesus gives himself for us, that Jesus is a gift to us, setting us free from slavery, willingly laying down his life, choosing at this moment to do this. Because this is the time to set the world free from sins. And then the cup representing the covenant that was enacted by the blood of Jesus himself. Not any animal and not just another human, but God himself giving himself, allowing his blood to be spilled so that we could enter into a covenant relationship to have forgiveness of sins, to be set free ultimately from sin and death. And the memorial that is to bring us back to that moment week after week after week so that we are giving our praise and our thanks to God for the relationship that we have and then our love and devotion and commitment reminding ourselves of the covenant that he's brought us into and how we will do all that he has said to do. Let's partake of the Lord's Supper at this time. It is amazing to think about Jesus doing this just moments before his betrayal. The final moments of his life saying, this is what's about to happen and this is what I want you to remember. This is what I want you to think about in all the days that go ahead. It is also interesting that Jesus says one more thing and then together they do one more thing. In verse 25 of Mark 14, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom 
of God. Here you have Jesus making an oath that this will be the last time that we're going to do this. This is the last time we're going to be together. There's not going to be another Passover. There's not going to be another gathering like this. You can imagine the weight of that. As Jesus has been saying for years, I'm going to be betrayed, handed over, I'm going to be killed. This is it. This is this moment. We're not going to have another moment like this again. This is going to be the final time when we will do this. But with Jesus saying, I will not drink it again, drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That what Jesus is doing in these events by giving forgiveness and enacting this new covenant and giving his life is allowing us now to participate in the kingdom of God. It was the beauty of what Exodus 24 showed that after the covenant had been ratified and the blood of the covenant had been cast upon the people, now the people were able to enjoy fellowship with God as is seen in Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 elders now going up on the mountain and they are eating a meal with God. It is an amazing scene that is prefiguring this moment that with Jesus' death, with the blood that is shed and His life being given, it allows us to belong to the kingdom of God. And yet notice that Jesus does not say, and you're going to be doing this by yourself as a future memorial, and so remember this moment. But notice as He says, He's going to drink it in the kingdom of God. It's an interesting irony that He's saying, I'm giving my life... And I'm not going to be here to have another Passover with you. However, I will drink it new in the kingdom of God. That irony is found throughout the Old Testament. You see that picture given even by Isaiah as well. In Isaiah 53 in verse 10, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord make his life an offering for sin, notice the death, The Lord is making His life the sin offering. He will see His offspring and prolong His days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in His hand. And here's Jesus saying the same thing. I'm giving my life. Blood is being poured out. My blood for the covenant. But I will drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. Resurrection and life is still being depicted in this very scene to tell them that he will still be with them and that it is not over in regards to the life of Jesus, but that this is necessary so that we can be joined in the kingdom of God and that in being joined in the kingdom of God, we are to gather with him. And that's what this memorial represents. We are proclaiming The Lord's death until He comes, as the Apostle Paul said it. Not only are these words given of great irony that He is going to die, but still remain alive and be in the kingdom with them. But you'll notice that verse 26 says, Then they leave and they sing a hymn. That was very common for the Passover as well. The Passover, you would sing the Hallel Psalms. Typically, at the beginning, you would sing Psalms 113, 114, and then you would sing Psalms 115 through 118 as the Passover was in conclusion. I don't have time to be able to take you through Psalms 115, 16, 17, and 18 like I would like you to, but 
I would just kind of take a, some random snippets out of these passages just so you can get a sense of the kinds of words that were being sung with the Passover, potentially the words they would have been singing as they leave this scene and now make their way to the Mount of Olives. Like Psalm 115 and verse 9. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help. And He is their shield. Psalm 116, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of the people. Notice again a calling of trusting in God and a hope of salvation of what God was going to accomplish and how the people would respond when God does that. Psalm 117, Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Here again, another psalm of praise. That's what these Hallel Psalms are all about is singing the praise of deliverance that God had accomplished for them. Psalm 118 verse 5. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph over those who hate me. Notice the victory imagery and the setting free imagery in Psalm 118. And also Psalm 118 verse 21. I thank you. That you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Just the weight of what those psalms are declaring. As at this moment, as the Passover ends, praising God and the weight of Psalm 118, so powerful, dripping with messianic prophecy, declaring what Jesus is about to do, that here he is going to go out. He is going to be the salvation of the people. He will be the stone that they have rejected, but he will become the cornerstone and is exactly the Lord's doing. It is exactly the plan of God, which Mark 14 has highlighted again and again, that there is nothing happening in this sequence whatsoever that is outside of the foreknowledge and pre-planned awareness of God. It's going all according to plan. And thus they sing these songs as they make their way to the Mount of Olives to a place that's going to be called Gethsemane. I want to end the lesson today by just concluding with just a couple ideas. All of the weight and the gravity and the symbolism and significance of the Passover. Jesus wanted all of that placed on his shoulders and seen fulfilled in him. This is why when the Lord made the declaration that the Passover would be a permanent memorial for all the generations is absolutely true. As Jesus would become the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate reason why. God is able to pass over us and to be forgiving of us and to set us free is because of the blood of Jesus. It is only because of his death, because of his sacrifice, the giving of his life, that we are able to not receive what we deserve from God, to not receive the wrath that is due us, but rather to enter into a new covenant 
and enjoy the forgiveness of sins and enjoy fellowship with God. It is amazing that what he did is he gave himself so that we could be united to him. It's the whole plan of God. He will give himself to bring us close to him. That's what God wanted. God wanted us to come near to him. It's all that it was on his mind in all of this. And in partaking then of the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming the benefits and renewing our commitment to the covenant. I want to end by noting how the Apostle Paul put this concept together. In 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, he said, Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. In putting Jesus as the focal point of the Passover, it's supposed to be life-changing. It's supposed to cause us to look at our lives and go, now we celebrate what Jesus has done as this great Passover, but we do not celebrate by living the same lives that we were living before. He says, the imagery of the Passover, where they were to cleanse and rid the house of all leaven, Yet everything out of that house that was leavened is a symbol of our lives. That what we are supposed to do as we celebrate our Lord and Savior is that that will remind us and cause us to compel us to get everything out of our lives that represents evil, wickedness, malice, anything that falls short of what is pure and right before God. Celebrating the Passover and partaking of the Lord's Supper, we are saying before God, we are going to now make ourselves holy by getting that stuff out of our lives. You have given your life to us, and we must rid ourselves of these things that are evil and wicked. That's what the call of the covenant was about. As we noted when we read it, how did the people respond to the book of the covenant being read? All that the Lord has spoken... We will do. And ultimately, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Since the Passover has been given through Christ, the Lamb has been sacrificed, and we celebrate the death of Jesus. And what that does for us, it means something very important in our lives. Is that we must celebrate by always looking inwardly And considering, are we removing the things in our lives that need to be taken out of the way that really do show an appropriate love and devotion to our God? Are we showing that we really do respect, love, and appreciate what Jesus has done for us? Has this sacrifice in all of its weight and meaning changed us to such a way and hit our minds and our hearts to such a degree that all of these other things that we engage in in sinfulness, we will want to get rid of. Just think about how many things that we willfully choose to keep engaging in 
things that we continue to decide, well, I just want to do these kinds of things. And the picture that Paul is giving is the Passover lamb being sacrificed apparently does not resonate in our lives. We keep choosing to willfully go against God's will. That's why the writer of Hebrews will say that we've trampled the blood of the Son of God underfoot when we sin deliberately. What are we saying to God? We're saying it doesn't mean anything to us. May we never allow this gracious act, this loving act, become so mundane to us, so habitual to us, that we forget what we are saying on our end of the covenant to God. As we end today, I want to ask each of us to consider the life and the death of Jesus. And if we are willing to be part of the covenant that God has called us to, He gave his life so that we could be set free. We're going to read these final chapters, these horrifying moments of the final hours of Jesus' life. And over the next few weeks as we do that, keep this memorial in mind of what Jesus is saying The only reason this is happening is for you. We needed this. We needed a way to be rescued. And we cannot be in fellowship with God without blood being shed. Will you respond to the invitation this very morning to decide to turn away from your sins and let the impact of the death of Jesus be pivotal to your life? That you will cleanse out malice and evil and all things that are selfish and self-centered and not according to God's will. Be willing today to make those changes. To be willing to honestly evaluate. Are you living a life that is reflective of what he has done for each of us? Will we proclaim the glory of God? and the mercy and the grace of God to the world around us by how we live differently for Him? Or has the blood of the covenant meant nothing to us? Can we help you? We hope you'll come and do that now while we stand and while we sing.